If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Well, thanks for tuning in, and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio news magazine. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Wenzel Jones. I'm Ian McKinnon. And I am Chris Ann Eastwood. Now, I know most of you spent the week worrying about the heft of Tom Brady's balls uh, or picturing Senator Joni Ernst wearing bread bags on her shoes while castrating pigs. Mm, mental. <laughs> How do we erase a mental picture? Boom. But tonight's show, we're going to class up this discourse. We talk to the first trans mayor of U.S. City as he returns to private life. Hmm. We hear a report from UN Radio about being lesbian in Turkey. I talk to actor Mitch Hera about his one-man show, Mutant Olive. And I talk with producer-director Jacqueline Garys about her documentary in progress called Free CC. But first, the national and international news from This Way Out. I'm Sarah Sweeney. And I'm Rick Watts. With NewsWrap, a summary of some of the news interaffecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending January 24, 2015. Chile's lower house, the Chamber of Deputies, passed a civil unions bill on January 20th by a vote of 86 to 23 with two abstentions. The bill already passed the Senate, but will have to return there for approval of changes made by the lower house that are said to be only of an administrative nature. Heterosexual couples will also have access to civil unions. The bill also allows a civil partner to have custody of a child if the other partner dies. The measure recognizes the foreign civil marriages of same-gender couples as Chilean civil unions. While still vowing to lobby for full marriage equality, the Movement for Homosexual Integration and Liberation, the country's leading LGBT rights group, celebrated the passage of the Civil Unions Bill. Today, Chile made a leap in moral and ethical growth, affirming that there cannot be first- and second-class families, the group said in a media statement. Our country is recognizing the great diversity of families and couples existing in the nation that don't want to or cannot contract matrimony. Former President Sebastián Piñera first introduced the civil unions legislation in 2011. Current President Michelle Bachelet has indicated that she wants to sign the bill into law by the end of January. But lawmakers in the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia voted by a lopsided tally of 72 to 4 on January 20th to not only deny civil marriage to same-gender couples, but to also make the creation of civil unions much more difficult. 
The constitutional amendment defines marriage as a life union solely of one woman and one man. A second provision says that legal relations in marriage, family, and civil unions are to be regulated by a law adopted by a two-thirds majority of the total members of parliament. The conservative government of President Georgie Ivanov sponsored the legislation. He's previously claimed that discrimination against lesbian and gay people in his southeastern European nation is a myth. Global human rights groups and LGBT activists immediately condemned passage of the legislation. Portugal's parliament on January 22nd rejected draft laws for a third time that would have allowed same-gender couples to adopt children, although the margin was smaller than the two previous votes. The ruling right-leaning Social Democrats refused to support similar measures in 2012 and 2013. Portuguese lawmakers approved a marriage equality bill in 2010, but not before a provision was added to expressly ban those couples from adopting children together. Parliament in 2013 narrowly did approve a bill allowing people in same-gender relationships to adopt their partners' biological or adopted children. A U.S. federal court on January 23rd struck down the state of Alabama's constitutional ban on civil marriage for same-gender couples. U.S. District Judge Callie V.S. Granade, an appointee of George W. Bush, found that Alabama marriage laws violate the rights of lesbian and gay couples to due process and equal protection under the U.S. Constitution and called the state's arguments in support of the ban an irrational way of promoting biological relationships. The judge did not stay her ruling, so same-gender couples were expected to line up for marriage licenses at county clerk's offices across the state as soon as they're open. Mike Lewis, a spokesman for the state attorney general's office, said via email that, We expect to ask for a stay of the court's judgment pending the outcome of the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling, which will ultimately decide this case. But the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, which would consider Alabama's appeal, denied a similar stay request by officials in another state over which it has jurisdiction, Florida. The Supreme Court then affirmed that denial. Unless or until a stay is issued, Alabama joins 36 other U.S. states and the District of Columbia with marriage equality. Meanwhile, so-called religious freedom bills have been introduced in about a half dozen U.S. states so far. Such legislation would allow the denial of services to LGBT people based on sincerely held religious belief and may be the homophobic right-wing's Hail Mary attempt to blunt marriage equality. LGBT activists call such proposals licenses to discriminate. They're all but certain to be the next major battleground for LGBT equality in the U.S. Elsewhere, the Egyptian government is reportedly encouraging the country's media to step up its negative coverage of LGBT people. Ibrahim Mansour of the leading Egyptian liberal newspaper Tahrir News told BuzzFeed that the government has issued direct instructions to state-run media to report on sex scandals in order to distract from political stories that expose the government's failings. Sex sells, he said, and it can continue drawing readers when the hot-button political topics are off-limits. Ahmed Rajeb, the editor of the online edition of El Masri El Yum, Egypt's largest newspaper, told BuzzFeed that the focus on sex scandals was largely driven by television talk shows chasing audiences while covering permissible subjects. 
Sex is just the best way to grab eyeballs if politics is off limits, he said. And it also conveniently fits the story that Egyptian President Abdel Fattah Assisi is telling about his quest to make Egypt a moral leader in the region. Mansour added that the regime is claiming that they represent the Arab Spring Revolution and none of the revolution's demands have been met. In the latest news from increasingly repressive Russia, government authorities have established new rules for getting film exhibition licenses that critics say could be used to crack down on movies with positive LGBT content. The new regulations say that exhibition licenses will be denied to films that defile the national culture, pose a threat to national unity, and undermine the foundations of the constitutional order. The new rules were supposed to take effect on January 1st, but there were reports this week that they're currently undergoing a review process. And a Russian court has found the leader of an online support network for LGBT teens guilty of violating the country's infamous law against propaganda of non-traditional sexual relations. Elena Klimova, who founded the Children 404 group, was fined 50,000 rubles, about 775 U.S. dollars, after Russia's Federal Communications Agency claimed to have received more than 150 complaints about the site. The group's name references the 404 Page Not Found online error, hinting at the isolation experienced by LGBT teens amid rising homophobic sentiment in Russia. The site publishes letters and photos from young people across the country. Most of the pictures obscure the sender's faces, but a common phrase accompanies many of the posts, we exist. Advocates for LGBT teens say they'll appeal Klamova's case all the way to the European Court of Human Rights if necessary. In other news, transgender Israelis are no longer required to undergo reassignment surgery to change the gender designation on their ID cards. The country's Supreme Court ordered the Ministry of Interior this week to legally change the gender of two transgender citizens from male to female. One is a lawyer, and the other is an ex-soldier who started transitioning during her compulsory military service. Neither woman wanted to undergo surgery, arguing that the requirement was unreasonable. Both were able to legally change their names, but not their gender. The health ministry was ordered to set the criteria for determining a gender change without surgery and to certify applicants who wish to register an official change. Other countries that allowed transgender applicants to legally change their gender designation with a declaration by a doctor or social worker include Portugal, Spain, the UK, Austria, Germany, Finland, and Denmark. Turkey's first shelter for transgender women has opened in Istanbul, according to a report in the English-language Hurriyet Daily News. Miss I, a transgender woman who says she's a devout Muslim, told the newspaper that she wanted to set up the shelter to help protect other transgender women. She noted that many of her sisters have trouble finding jobs and resort to sex work or other illegal activities to survive. Fundraising efforts for the shelter included a trans fashion show, which raised more than 40,000 liras, almost 19,000 U.S. dollars. That night I cried, Miss I said. Everything was great. She wants to convert what is now a guest house into a two-floor sheltered house and expand from there. Turkey has the highest number of hate crimes against transgender women in Europe. One study counted 37 who were murdered in the country between 2008 and 2014. 
while Turkish government reforms last year outlawed hate crimes and discrimination based on race and religion, among other characteristics, they pointedly excluded sexual orientation or gender identity. And finally, six years after he became the first openly transgender mayor in the U.S., Stu Rasmussen, who uses male pronouns, exited Silverton, Oregon City Council last week after losing his re-election bid. He told Portland, Oregon TV station KPTV that a transgender politician is not the headline grabber it used to be. For a town of of 10,000 people to elect a transgender person as their mayor is pretty revolutionary. And we have seen a lot of other things now happening in the transgender community that is coming much more mainstream. It's, It's almost like, oh, okay, no big deal. But honestly, in 2008, it was a big deal. Rasmussen said he didn't mind leaving what he called a dysfunctional city council. It seemed like anything that had my authorship or my fingerprints on it was just, it was a problem for the rest of the council, or at least for enough of them to not do it. But he didn't rule out another political campaign if community members request it. I'm sort of stuck in, in public life, you know, just by being me. That's News Wrap for the week ending January 24th, 2015. Produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Rick Watts. And I'm Sarah Sweeney. And updating one of those news wrap stories, the federal judge who overturned Alabama's ban on civil marriage for same-gender couples on January 23rd issued a 14-day stay of her ruling on January 25th to allow state officials time to appeal. Well, boo hiss on that. Isn't that always the way it goes? And if the higher courts do not extend this or if they don't lift the stay in two weeks and district judge, her name is Callie Grenade, said she thought it was unlikely it's going to expire, the stay will expire on February 9th. Well, you can hear all 30 minutes of the latest This Way Out, including more news wrap on Stitcher Radio On Demand on iTunes or at thiswayout.org. Also on the program this week, President Obama's words make history. Anderson Cooper adds a homophobe to his ridiculous. And Irish actor Colin Farrell supports his brother by supporting marriage equality. I love Colin Farrell. Isn't he adorable? (laughs) Well, I'm very excited for Alabama because I just love saying sweet homo Alabama. That's my new, like, favorite thing this week. It makes you smile when you say that, doesn't it? It does. Yeehaw. And as we mentioned in our news report tonight, six years after he became the first openly transgender mayor in the United States... Stu Rasmussen lost his bid for re-election. He's once again a private citizen. Good thing, bad thing. Just like George Herbert Walker Bush and W as well. And you know what? We have him on the phone right now. Hello, Stu. Hello there. How are you guys? We are good. You know, you say you are now a private citizen, but you I'm looking at your bio. 24 years of elected public service in Silverton, Oregon. That's quite a commitment to your town. Yeah, actually, I think it's probably more than 24 because I was on the uh, library board for four years also. I just took it from your bio. You can pat it any way you want to, sweetheart. <laughs> so Silverton sounds like the most idyllic town in the world. You own a and run a, the Palace Theater. It's a theater in this town? Yeah, we, my, a business partner and I have the Palace Theater in Silverton. We were uh, both employed there when we were in high school. When the business came up for sale in 1974, we bought it and 
been there ever since. That's a beautiful story. You work there in high school and then you own it. And you, you've never left this town. You created a cable television company for this town. You're quite the entrepreneur. I mean, are you like the king of Silverton? Queen of Silverton. <laughs> Excuse me. The queen of Silverton. Well, one or the other, yes. At, at least in my own mind. I, I think there would be uh, several other people who might have different opinions. Mm, well, And speaking of which, you lost the election. What happened? Well, to be honest about it, I, when I was first elected mayor, I inherited most of my predecessor's council and they were pretty much of one mind, and they went along with anything the previous mayor Obstructionist. wanted Obstructionist, yeah. Well, yeah. It, it's, you know, there are, it's, it's um, sort of mirroring the national picture where Obama wants to do X, and Congress and the Republicans want to do Y, and X and Y are completely different. And it, I know it sounds very familiar. And you, you know, as you, have you said in a lot of your, your press and so forth, the fact that you are trans is no big deal. Is it no big deal in Silverton? Because we're kind of out here in Los Angeles, we're saying, really? It's no big deal? You have to understand that I pretty much transitioned in place from uh, the guy in the flannel shirt driving the bucket truck and fixing your cable TV to the uh, current presentation, which is, uh, I guess, I, I dress to impress or whatever. Very nice. I brought the community along with me rather slowly and there was always, you know, well, what's Stu doing now? What's this? What's that? And the biggest obstacles are between my ears, and the community was, was kind of keeping up. And there, You know, there's always problems in doing something like that, but uh, it worked out well. Stu, hi, this is Wenzel asking now. I just wondered, why do you insist on using masculine pronouns? Because people find it, when addressing people in the trans community, so confusing already. <laughs> and now you're a woman who insists on being addressed as, as a he, yes? Or am I mistaking this? Well, because I grew up in Silverton as Stu and the guy that they knew, I thought it was probably easier for me to go with the flow than to try to teach an entire town to use the right pronouns. But now when you leave town? You know, I honestly don't care. A lot of trans people are very hung up on appropriate pronouns, and I don't care. It's quite a battle, and there and, and there are those who are creating new pronouns, and 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 the various you know the various <laughs> trans spectrum it d- does get difficult to communicate that way. You said you were a cross dresser, um, which is the preferred term for transvestite for years. What made you decide to identify as transgender? Well, um, I was more than a cross-dresser. I, I had a visual image of myself as being more female than just a male cross-dressing, but I was not a transsexual. I did not want to change my physical sex, but my, my gender identity is pretty much female. You know, I do guy things. I do girl things. It's, I tell people, you know, not everybody is four feet tall, nor are they seven feet tall. There's a spectrum there, and many people are, are in the middle. And so if you're somewhat male and somewhat female, there's a gender fluidity there, and it's not binary. It's, it's analog. Now, in a town of 10,000, is there a trans community, or are you the trans community? I think I'm pretty much the trans community. I, I have had other trans people in town come out to me, but I'm the most out of the group. But we also have to look at what current society is doing, and young people, their gender identity has a fluidity to it already. And... You know, it is not that big a deal to teenagers and 20-somethings to identify 
or maybe not identify their gender. Now, I know there was a town in Colorado, and the name has is, is slipped my mind. I don't know if it was Colorado, but some, some state up there. That sounds right. Uh, but it, but it, they were very, um, they had a large trans community because there was a clinic there that was doing uh, oh, gender, Trinity. A gender assignment surgery, gender reassignment surgeries. And so do you think because of your place, I mean, you are, you are one of Silverton's own. You're born and bred. This is the town you're going to live in the rest of your life. I mean, do you think somehow you're coming out and so forth might attract a folks within the area of finally you know coming to terms with their own either sexuality or gender orientation and b folks who would like the small town life i'm one of those people who might say i want to move to silverton because they seem to be good folks about folks who might not be on the binary as we know i think yes and yes but <laughs> well you know it's probably the wrong answer okay uh i think trans people can get along anywhere that they put a mind to it and there are open and accepting communities everywhere. But most trans people that I have encountered, as I say, their problems are between their ears rather than in society. Gotcha. And when you, it, it's sort of a, a down, uh, a downer to say, well, you know, I'm not the center of everyone else's universe, and what I wear, what I do, my gender identity doesn't really bother them. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait a minute. I'm not the center of the universe. Well, that's a disappointment. Yes, it is. Wenzel's crying right now. He's very upset about that. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't mean to, to do that to you. <laughs> no, no, no. He has to hear from someone. It might as well be you because, you you know, you're a former mayor, so it means a lot. Go ahead. Yes, uh, I, I'm an anonymous voice on a phone, so we can ignore that. I, no, well, yeah. no, I was wondering, do you, do you find yourself inadvertently being thrust into the position of being a, a role model, or, or are you pretty much the girl next door? Yes and yes. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, the, the notoriety or, or whatever that surrounded the 2008 election still has some residual to it, and I get um, a lot of speaking engagement invitations and, you know, do a lot of radio interviews about being an authority on gender identity, and I know as much about it as anybody else, which means I have my own opinions, and they're worth whatever you pay for them. No, you know what? We appreciate that because, you know, sometimes we we get caught up in the discourse, a lot of academic speak, a lot of science speak and so forth. And, you know, sometimes you just want to hear it's plain spoken by a nice a nice gal like you. Stu Rass, <laughs> is it Rasmussen? Um, let's see. Let me Pronounce let's... your last name how I can really pronounce it like a good Oregoner, Oregonian. Uh... Well, see, there's the problem. It's not Oregon. It's oh, it's Oregon. Oregon. I know. See? Well, I'm a Michigander, so what do I know? Right. Okay, and I'm Stu Rasmussen. Stu Rasmussen. And you can catch up with Stu and what's the next step for her on her political trail at StuRasmussen.com, correct? Well, and actually, that's just got the 2014 campaign information on it. Okay. And, uh, my future in politics is pretty much going to be determined by the community here. If they want me back, uh, they have my phone number, but I'm not sitting by the phone waiting for it to ring. All right. Well, thank you so much, Stu, for speaking to our audience here tonight at IMRU. Wow, that was awesome. Yes, and next we have an interview from UN Radio Women's Stephanie Castro with Turkish lesbian activist Sadif Kakmak. The law in Turkey does not recognize the existence of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and intersex community, otherwise known as LGBTI, leaving them vulnerable to violence, discrimination, and oppression, according to a Turkish rights activist. Sedef Kakmak spoke passionately about the current situation in the country for the LGBTI community. Stephanie Castro has been speaking to Ms. Kakmak. 
Well, unfortunately, in Turkey, the LGBTIs are still deprived of their basic human rights. It means that you can be beaten, threatened by death just because you're LGBTI, or you can be fired from your job, you can be denied access to healthcare, to education. Unfortunately, the Turkish laws, and especially the constitution, does not recognize the existence of LGBTIs. There are no anti-discrimination laws that are protecting the LGBTIs, and the hate crimes also does not cover transphobia and homophobia, which makes the LGBTIs more vulnerable to violence, discrimination, and oppression. What is your life like in Turkey as an openly gay woman? To be honest, I am one of the luckiest people living in Turkey because I have too many friends who were oppressed by their parents, faced violence or committed suicide or were murdered. So in that respect, I would say that I'm lucky. It took my mother 10 years to accept that I'm a lesbian, but now she's totally okay with that. My father knows everything that I'm doing at the LGBTI movement, but we don't speak about my own personal life. I'm totally okay with that because he's not doing anything. I mean, he could imprison me at home. He could, I don't know, do lots of other things. He's treating me like a human being, which is enough for me, you know? You mentioned fear, if you could elaborate. <laughs> well, it is the fear of not being protected by the laws. It is the fear of even if your rights are violated, you're not sure whether the justice will be done by the court. I mean, this lack of protection makes you extremely vulnerable and afraid. In addition to that, the state also provokes violence. It is extremely hard to enjoy a peaceful life as a citizen of Turkey, I would say. What type of outcome would you like to see as the conversation is brought to the UN? There should be at least a strategy to decrease and to eradicate the hate crimes targeting the LGBTI people. That is the most important thing to me. I'm just hoping that the UN will implement the strategies in order to eradicate the hate crimes and the murders of LGBTIs. You've been listening to Women from United Nations Radio in New York. You can follow more of our programs on radio.un.org. I'm Stephanie Kutrix. I can't even imagine being a lesbian in Turkey. Life there seems hard enough already. I I think it's hard enough for women. It's hard enough for lesbians and gay men in Turkey. I think the thing most really, the fact that she's, I've had so many friends who have been, you know, denied by their families, committed suicide, murder. Who yeah. says it? I've had so many friends murdered and committed suicide. I know. That's awful. So, But so. on a lighter note. That's a 180. Sure did. Occasionally, Mr. Pride and I go out and take in an evening of theater, which we did last week when we went to the Lounge Theater to see Mutant Olive, which is a one-man show performed by Mitch Hara, who's here in studio with us. And we thought, he's fun. Let's bring him in. So yeah, he's after killing, right like, Turkish women. I know. So it's up to you to raise the 
Raise the frivolity level in the room, Mitch. So welcome to IMRU. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Now, your one-man show, Mutant Olive, is actually not performed as you, but as your alter ego, Adam Astra. Correct. So how close is Adam to you? Is this just a device? or I mean, it's pretty pretty much you, isn't it? It's pretty much me, but it gives me license to... You know, like based on the mm-hmm. events of a real movie. Yes. You know how they say that crap. And it's like, yes, it's 90% yes. could be true. There's certain things that are not um, literally yeah. true, but emotionally are true. As David Sedaris says, it's true enough. Exactly. <laughs> true enough for you. So can you give us a thumbnail of this show? Um... It's really, it's throwing my relationship with my father. I slap it all over the stage. And it revolves around an audition for Death of a Salesman. And I come in, and my father has been tormenting me all day long like he does on the phone. And um, because he doesn't like my life, he doesn't like what I look like, he doesn't like my career choice. And so I go into audition with him because he's ragging on me. And I keep trying. I have to purge my life experience before I can audition. So every time I start to audition, it reminds me of something he did to me. And I have to purge that in front of the directors and the casting directors, and that's who the audience becomes. But now Adam is going into audition for the role of happy in Death of a Salesman, but not really as happy in Death of a Salesman. And that's the interesting twist. He's going to audition as... Oh, I am going to do a puck. uh, But not just puck. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't want to use the text for the auditions. I wanted to use... uh, I wanted to do a monologue from Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, not the puck from MTV, because he's... No, 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 no. No, Oh, no, I don't pick my nose. And this one... Is uh, I'm going to do it the puck, but I'm going to do him as an Italian pizza delivery person. So and it's wow. going to be bold choice. Bold. I know, right? No one's going to do that. No. So I speak Sp- uh, Italian. Mm-hmm. And then I go into the, um, the Molto monologue. See, 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 see. And one of the things I found so interesting about it was usually if there is a gay character in a show, we have to have the coming out to the parents' moment scene. They have to talk about it. It has to be the focus of the show. And in this show, it's just there. It's just woven in. Was that a conscious decision on your part to not draw focus from your relationship with your father and actually yeah. n- not do Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Well, I mean, because I was, I was doing it be- from relationship that I know mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. him. And it's like I was so artistic growing up, and my father is six feet tall, blonde hair, and blue eyes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like a short little gypsy. No one can see me. But I'm like this creative little dark-haired, green-eyed monster to him. Cause he, so he was expecting a little football player. So um, he was always so afraid of me from the very beginning. And I was so creative. So my sexuality was the least of their worries. Well, now, you've been doing this show for about 10 years now, haven't you? No. Well, that, that, that was, no, that was the, uh, developed over 10 years. Oh, developed over 10 yeah, years. So yeah. So how, yeah, yeah. how long have you had it? Two years. Oh, okay. I've done it in New York uh, in solo festivals. I did it here in solo festivals. I had a run at the Beverly Hills Playhouse. And then you got this character in a web series as well, right? uh, Yes, 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 with Doris Roberts. Now, which came first? Uh, the, this, Puck. Okay. The was Mutant it? Olive. So he's totally different in the web series. Actually, I mean, he's the 30 situation. days out of rehab. Yes. Oh, the situation is yeah. totally different. Oh, okay. He's a casting director. 
There's a lot of layers here. I yeah, feel like I should be taking notes. <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm listening, but there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, the two coming out things that you were talking about, I mean, that aren't even in the show. Yeah, no. My mother, at 19, you know, we were sitting there in a restaurant, some rib, rib joint in Chicago, and she said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I mean, I know you're sleeping with men. And I said, well, I know you, so are you. So she goes, oh, yeah. Would you hate me? And I was like, no, do you hate me? And she was like, oh, please, nothing's See? different. Done. So, I mean, that's how fast that went. Well, one thing that impresses me most about one-man shows is that they get done at all because both you and Ian has done a lot of one-man shows. How difficult is that? Well, you know what? It's humongously difficult because, I mean, I was, I was lucky enough to get um, a lot of support from the beginning to put it up at the Beverly Hills Playhouse first in Beverly Hills and um, workshop it there. And then these people, theater planners, just saw it. I mean... I think there's probably 10 genius people that are doing what we do, one-man shows. I think it's a creature that you're either built to do or you're not. You know what I mean? I don't think... It's like I... And we were talking, I didn't want a a monologue. I didn't want to go up there and do My Words by Mitch Hara. I wanted a theatrical event where I can take you from one place to another. And I think the important thing for me... That, you know, the, the mutant olives of the world, the Lily Tomlins, the Robin Williams, Prince, Will I be. think those are mutant olives. Mm. Oprah is not a mutant olive. No, Whoopi. Mm. I was saying Whoopi Goldberg. I don't think oh, she's and Whoopi. Oh, fuck. Yes. Yes, of yeah, course. Hey, watch that. <laughs> hey, hey, sorry, kids. <laughs> beep, 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 yeah. beep, beep. Absolutely. But it, Oprah is not. She's friendly to no. olives. Yes. And she eats olives. Short answer. Do you think a gay one-man show has ever come out of good parenting? <laughs> Um, not in my experience. Well, I'm so sorry that we are actually out of time, and it seems like you just sat down. I know, right? It always turns out that way. Because the joy is just starting. I know, but if you want to order tickets to Mutant Olive, it's at place411.com slash mutant, or you can call 323-960-7861. Is there any other information they need about tickets? Or, uh... No, that, that's great. There's also, if you, if you, there's half-price tickets mm-hmm. on Gold Star. Mm. So you could snatch some of those And you have a website too. for any of your information. Yeah, you could go to, um, what is it, Mutant Olive mm-hmm. on Facebook. Oh, excellent. Perfect. Well, and thank you could you. find me. Thank you so much for coming by to visit us, Mr. Hara. That was very lovely. You know, know. Wenzel, you should do a one-man show of your experiences here. I will <laughs> get right on that. Yes, I mean. nothing more fascinating than a radio studio. Comedy gold, mister. We'll see. And still to come, not comedy, but something very excellent, Jacqueline Garys, the documentarian who is currently working with our own Laverne Cox to tell the story of C.C. McDonald. Then Chris Barnes and Jackie Squitriglia, the owners of the Gay Country Western Bar Flaming Saddles in New York City and brand new to WeHo, join us live in studio. (laughs) Don't go away. We'll be right back. African-American dance pioneer Alvin Ailey, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. Alvin Ailey rose to international acclaim as a choreographer, his company performing to an estimated 21 million people all over the world. He'd gotten there against all odds. His father abandoned him and his mother shortly after his birth in 1931. And as for his mother, she greeted his early successes in dance with a slap across the face. Regardless, in 1954, Ailey headed for Broadway to share the stage with the likes of Lena Horne and Harry Belafonte. Ailey began to choreograph pieces of his own and in 1957 formed his own group, now known as the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. From the start, his genius was undeniable. Ailey's masterpieces revealed an interest in the African-American musical tradition with his dance piece, Revelations. 
perhaps the most popular ballet of the 20th century. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia and read by volunteers like me, John DeBoer. Hello, I'm Armistead Maupin, author of Tales of the City, and you are listening to IMRU Radio Magazine on KPFK-FM, 90.7 Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 99.5 Ridgecrest, China Lake, 93.7 San Diego, or streaming online at kpfk.org. Welcome back. You are listening to IMRU Radio. I'm Chrisanne Eastwood. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Ian McKinnon. The time is now 7.32. I had the chance recently to speak with Jacqueline Garys. She's a former executive producer of the uh, public television show In the Life. But she is now working on this incredible documentary with Laverne Cox about a trans woman named Cece McDonald. And this is called Free Cece. Let's hear what she had to say. My name is Jacqueline Garris, and I'm the director and co-producer with Laverne Cox of Free CC, the documentary. And tell us about this film. This film started, believe it or not, when I was working as series producer of In the Life. I asked Laverne Cox to come in and pitch us a segment idea. And she came in and she wanted to do a story on violence that affects trans women of color, specifically. And she wanted to tell it through the story of Cece McDonald, who was a survivor of a, home, of a transphobic, racist attack that happened in June 5th, uh, 2011. And Cece had survived the attack and was denied a um, self-defense claim as she was um, going to the grocery store with um, some of her friends around midnight on June 5th uh, in 2011, she um, encountered a group of people that were outside of this bar called Schooners in Minneapolis. And these people started yelling terrible racial epithets and saying terrible transphobic things like calling her a chick with a, with a slurs, slurs, basically. And the two crowds started to engage a little bit, and they tried to walk away, but there were slurs thrown on both sides. Uh, Words were engaged on both sides. And at some point, they were not able to get away from this crowd of people. Um, One of the women, Molly Shannon Flaherty, who was with uh, the bar crowd, took her glass tumbler and threw it into Cece's face and lacerated her salivary gland. Cece was terribly injured and bleeding. She was on the ground with blood in her eyes, couldn't see. And Dean Schmidt, who was with Molly, tried to take Molly off of Cece. And then Cece was trying to walk away. And Dean kind of jogged after her. And Cece was fearing for her life and couldn't see and was starting to feel really woozy from the blood loss. And she was just gushing blood from her cheek. And at some point, Cece took out some scissors because she was a fashion student and she had fabric scissors in her purse and brandished them. And he said, what are you going to stab me, bitch? And she held them up and he rushed her. And Cece ended up stabbing Dean Schmitz through his chest. And they later found out he had a swastika tattoo and he later died. So Cece was arrested. 
She was the only one. She had people in her group call the police, and when the police came, they arrested Cece. And um, she didn't get medical attention. She sat in the back of a police car for a couple hours, bleeding, and finally they gave her medical attention, but then they questioned her. And uh, she started this whole horrific ordeal that ended with her taking a plea bargain. She was first charged with murder. And then the prosecution gave her a plea deal, and she decided to take the plea bargain because it was second-degree manslaughter and the, dropped the, the charges down to a 41-month prison term. With the murder charges, she was looking at over 40 years, well over. I mean, like, they were throwing two murder charges at her, so double. And they weren't going to allow many things into the trial. They weren't going to allow the fact that Dean Schmidt had methamphetamine and coke in his system. They weren't going to allow the swastika tattoo. They weren't going to allow anyone to testify about transgender bias crimes or what life experience for a trans woman of color is like. Only just giving like broad definitions. That was it. The system was stacked against her. Basically, this was a case that I was following, Laverne was following it, and um, we started meeting about what was going on and the free CC movement that basically developed to get the word out about what CC was going through. And we eventually got permission to film an interview with Laverne and CC in uh, St. Cloud, Minneapolis. And we went last uh, November 2013, we did our interview. Then CC was released. And we came back January 2014 and filmed her release. And we've been following Cece's life and also really delving into forensic psychology and what motivates biased crime perpetrators to commit this kind of violence against trans women of color. We're also just following the movement of trans women of color really just starting to speak out and, and come together and organize. In my reading of the news, this seems to be the highest rate of not only violence but death of murder it's 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 trans women of color it's so disproportionate how trans women are affected by i mean if you just take lgbt hate violence alone if you look at the national center for anti-violence they have studies that they've published for 2012 and 2013 and it's something like 67 percent of the murders that occurred in 2013, 67% are trans women of color. So they're getting lethal violence. And that's why we felt like it was important to speak directly to Cece, because she could have, there was a moment where Cece could have just fallen down and they could have jumped on her and finished her off. And she knew that she had to fight for life and she had the audacity to fight for her life. She had the audacity to keep going. Also to say, my life is worth it. Was there any remorse or any kind of admission from anyone in the group that chased her and taunted her and, and hurt her? I'm actually trying to get interviews with Molly Shannon Flaherty, actively pursuing that because I, I think it would be, um, I mean, in her police report, she says things like she was upset that Cece was wearing shorts. You know, I mean, it's she says the same kinds of things that biased crime perpetrators say when you ask them, why did you attack that trans woman of color? It's because she's wearing a dress. They feel like that in and of itself for someone to challenge the binary gender code is enough provocation for them to be righteous with their violence and, and put gender back in its 
its rightful place that they feel it belongs. Where are you traveling to get various snippets of what's going on? Minneapolis, of course, and New York. Cece has come and done media tours. She's on many speaking engagements. We were just in Chicago. Cece had not seen her mother since 2012, even before the attack. And so we had a powerful interview with Cece's mother, why she didn't want to see her child, not only behind bars, but she didn't want to see the scar on Cece's face. We've been to California. We did an amazing interview with Karen Franklin, who's a forensic psychologist. We have just uh, been, you know, really all over the country. We're just trying to document the crimes that have happened even just this past summer. This is an incredibly powerful, heartbreaking work. When will you complete it? We hope to have it released 2016. We're going to be in post-production all of 2015. I'm really taking my time with this documentary. This is my second documentary that I've made. And of course, I was series producer for In the Life for five years. This is a story that matters. It's important. This is the kind of work that I wanted to keep doing at In the Life and then keep doing beyond In the Life. So it's very important to me that this story be told, but also be told well and to have a high production value. That means raising money while we're also, you know, making the film. So if people hear this and they want to donate to our film, you can go to freeccdocumentary.net. Thank you. An incredible story. I could have talked for hours with Jacqueline Garris. Like I said, free CC and that's C-E-C-E documentary.net if you want to contribute. I, they're probably always looking for funds, but and thank you for doing that, Chris Ann. Thank was you. Very delight. Well, well, not delightful. <laughs> no, it, it was. It's an incredible. The, the, but the yeah. statistics about crime against trans yeah. women of color are overwhelmingly awful. But hopefully, you know, we are going to evolve and get better and better. And you know what's really going to be better? Now we're going to sit down and talk with some folks here who have a grand opening this week of a brand new bar in West Hollywood. But it's not just your average bar with bar stools. Oh, what kind is it? It is a country (laughs) western bar. I am so excited to have the owners of Flaming Saddle Saloon in here, Chris Barnes and Jackie Squatriglia. They are here in the studio right (laughs) now. Howdy, y'all. Howdy. Howdy. Now, I'm going to say right now, you have, this is not the first Flaming Saddles. This is not your first. First time at the rodeo, is it? This is not our first rodeo. You have one of these in New York City, which is closed right now because of the blizzard. We did close a town. It's a blizzard in New York City. Yes, it is. Now tell us, you don't sound like your country western folk, if I may be completely stereotypical. Well, (laughs) what is a country western folk? You know, Jackie's from Connecticut. I'm from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Oh, that's and, Southern uh, Pennsylvania, though, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, actually, we sit. I sit between Scranton sits between four of the largest country western radio markets in the country. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm talking about New York City. New York City is actually the highest uh, record sales of country music in the United States. I and, did not know yeah. that. And Why only, is that? Uh, I think because um, there are a lot of cosmopolitan politan folks in the closet with their country music. Mm. Oh. I like country music, although I have to say the new stuff is getting a little too poppy for me. Mm-hmm. I tend to like mm-hmm. very old school stuff, Wanda Jack, I like rockabilly and yeah. all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So all that good old, old stuff. But, Cash. So tell me, you opened not one but two country western bars, but also gay ones. Tell me about this. 
Well, this is Flaming Saddles is a bar that Jackie and I, we opened together, and that is a, a gay country western bar. Jackie herself, though, comes from the Coyote Ugly brand, where she created and choreographed all the dances for that place. I've been there. I've seen oh, those girls. Right? Yes, yes. I, I've got sweat from one of those girls in a, in a wallet somewhere. Yeah. I'm sure they charge you extra for that. Well, you know, I just I snuck it in there. But yes, they do. They don't. It doesn't come cheap, but it certainly comes nice and wet. Yes. Right. But my dream was to see the boys do my dances. Yeah. It was always my dream because they're so athletic, the dances and the boys. Yep. But I knew that would look I wanted to watch them dance. Sure. Like Best Little Whorehouse probably has some of the that's greatest. Right. Oh, yes. I mean, that's that, right. That's a great when the, when the Aggie boys get there mm-hmm. and they're getting ready to go get those their prize for winning that football game. And Mercy. we play that movie. Of course that's you do. We do. We play. You know, here's an interesting one night <laughs> where that was on in New York in our New York bar. Mm-hmm. And there was two young gay men and a black woman, an older black woman. Mm-hmm. And they introduced themselves and said that we really love your bar. And they said, you know, this movie right here, there's a solo dance coming up, and it features this black woman no. sitting here. Yes. 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 And it was her, so we stopped everything. Of course. Yes. Grabbed the mic and said, you're about to see this dance. We know where it, where it was coming. It was right yeah. where you said, you know. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it was wonderful. And everybody came over and asked her for an autograph, taking pictures, Instagramming oh, her. Really? Oh, it was That's beautiful. Great. That is was so great. cool. Great. Yeah. Yep. Well, see, and that's why you have to be in a town like New York or or L.A. because they appreciate the show business. That's of Because right. of, of, country western dancing and line dancing, all that kind of stuff is really, really funny. You don't have to be the world's greatest dancer right. to be a country dancer, which right. I really appreciate. Right. 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 I, I was wondering, when you say country western bar, though, what is the focus? Is it the dancing? Is it the music? Is the costume opportunities? What? Because <laughs> I, I dressed for the interview. I know she this did. is not I, TV. And I, I love it. But I've got my Justin boots uh, on. Yes, I've got the my dusters. country. That's right. Love them and the snap shirt absolutely yes. I'm, I'm, I'm your people snap shirt we yep. love that yes ma'am <laughs> I mean, is there country western karaoke is that even no, no oh, okay. none of that none no of that. I, just wondering i think you know my sisters were rockettes radio city musical you know uh, dancers my parents were ballroom dancers and i can honestly say that because i asked jackie what you know what do you want you want to get married and have kids you want to have fun she said i want to have fun i said what's that she said i want to open up a gay country western bar true story and i said if we call it flaming saddles i'm in and uh, (laughs) and i said but what and i asked her i said what what is what is the point of this and she said the dance you know and so when you say what is the focus of flaming saddle saloon it is the dance and so every 30 minutes one of jackie's choreographed dances numbers is done by all the boys on all, all the bar all tops the, and they hop up on those they bars hop up on the bar and then the bar the, the dance the, the wood stump and uh, another wood table any platform and what are they wearing or not wearing what you're wearing they're wearing levi's they're wearing shirts co- yep. uh cowboy boots and flaming saddles t-shirts That's right. oh my goodness now yes. so yes. can you describe the bartender auditions Yes. Crazy. Yes. The auditions are my favorite part because I, I really handpick the staff. I love to to work with the boys and pick the staff. And I have them come in and I talk to them a little bit. And then I put on some music and I have them dance. And usually they're totally freaked out because no one's used to dancing to country music. So I always put on some country music and see if they have some sort of rip, rhythm or if they like to dance or even if they like country music. Not that any of that matters if I really like them. So I'm always in awe of somebody who I can teach to dance, who's got some sort of spark and is eager to learn all of this. And that's really how I picked the boys. And they're a really good group out here in, in L.A. I mean, if you're a dancer, and I'm and I'm not, obviously, <laughs> you should be able to dance to anything. You should be able to dance to anything. But for some reason, 
country music makes people a little uncomfortable when they're dancing and they just start stomping their feet and jumping around. Well, sure. Usually. It's not all river dance. It's not all. <laughs> it's not all. Although they try. I call it the kitchen sink. They do every move they know. Well, you know, I have to say at Prides, the country western tent here in L.A. is always the most hopping, happening, happy tent. It's it happy. It's they not are stressful. in there. Oh, they're not stressful and it's fun. Yes. And, and line dances, here's the thing about line dancing. You don't have to have a partner. Right. So if you're by yourself, you can still go out dancing and have a good time. You're not going to feel, oh, I don't have anybody to dance with. Right. Well, everybody's happy. Right. Happy. It's not And the boots are so fun. The clothes mm-hmm. are great. How did you realize or get the notion that country western was going to resonate with the gays? We didn't. We didn't. You just said gay bar, or I mean, did you say country it, western bar? I, I, I said g- gay country western bar from yes. the beginning. And yes. where, did that come to you in a dream? Was there a vision? Uh, did it come? It came it to me to, in a it dream. It goes back to the dance. It really you know? does. I wanted to see the boys do the choreographed dances, and I just knew that a gay country western bar. I've never seen one before. Yeah. So it was a it was a business decision, yes, but it wasn't a business decision like I'm going to change the way. The community goes out, and what has happened because of the bar and the non-stress of the bar, that people are coming out more, coming out to the bar more. <laughs> they coming could out be coming more. out. They're at coming the out bar. more also. Well, it has, but it but it's, a, it's a very um, calm place to go, and it has resonated more than I even thought. Are people dressing for it? Are people oh, yeah. wearing their country oh, yes. stuff? Could oh, you yes. remember when Urban Cowboy yeah. came out yes. in 1981? That was a great and, movie. Was and then suddenly every bar had a bucking right. bronco right. and you That's had like right. denim and diamonds in New York right. and, and you had all these kind of things. You, you probably yeah. went to those. But and they Santa came, Monica. And they, and they, but they petered out. You know, like one of the greatest in New York, Rodeo Bar, which I yep. used to love up in what, 27th or 28th and yes. 3rd, just closed. Just closed. Mm-hmm. Loved yep. that place. I sang there. I mean, is country hanging in here? Oh, it's its biggest resurgence ever, you know. I, I mean, it's more and, popular than that. and it's funny you say that because as the country western artist wears less of the ten gallon hat, the country western fan is wearing more of the jeans and the you know and the flannel. It's really coming together into an Abercrombie Fitch kind of world. Well, lumber sexual—that's <laughs> yes. that's the big thing this year. The lumber sexual. We're here on IMRU talking with the owners of the new Flaming Saddle Saloon, which is having its grand opening yes. this Wednesday night, that's January twenty right. eighth, mm-hmm. in West Hollywood. It's the former space for Eleven, that's which right. is at the corner of Santa Monica Boulevard and Larrabee, which is very that's country good. western too. Which name, is very Larrabee. country western. So, what's happening at this grand opening? Well, Billy Gilman, the first out gay country recording artist. I remember artist. when he was like 10 years That's old. That's right. That's what Huge his number hit. one hit came out. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and he came out about three months ago. Finally. And uh, we're you. flying him out. And uh, Mayor D'Amico is going to be giving him a proclamation and us as well. And uh, we are going to celebrate his sexuality and our opening all in the same night. You know who you should get? Did hmm. you see the movie Crazy Heart with Dip Bridges? Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, Colin Farrell did his own singing in there, and Colin is a big fan of the gay community as a gay brother. Big, you should right? give him a call, have him come sing, because oh, he, really? he did his own singing in that thing. Oh, please do. And please he was do. good, oh, you know, because yeah. I love Colin Farrell. I mean, he's one of my, like, go-to, yeah. like, opposite gender, if I ever went that way once in a while. He's uh, kind of uh, one of those. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I have to say, I, I've never been one overly fond of that whole cowboy mythos, but as soon as you slap the word gay in front of it, mm. I'm in. <laughs> Right. Why is that? Why does it become so appealing when you just make it gay cowboy? Because it's always been sort of a, you know, it's its own fantasy genre. And we'll just leave that at that. Broke back. <clears throat> Broke back. <laughs> Broke you back. know, again, it, it started with the dance. And when, and when we opened in New York, you know, it's not like we said, what kind of bar should we open? Well, let's see. Who has the best, you know, the, the most uh, prolific disposable income? The gay community. Let's open in a gay, you know. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about that, you know. We opened this bar and we said, and we didn't, you know, we're a straight couple. We, we had our gay friends 
who were giving us uh, their insights as how it should be. Well, they should have their shirts off. We said, well, we don't want their shirts off. Well, you have to have a DJ. We said, well, we don't want a DJ. Uh, well, they, uh, you have to have Madonna and Britney on the jukebox. And we said, well, we'll do a couple of those things, maybe. I, that I didn't know. But our opening night, we'd say, well, to this day, 60 to 70% of our clientele are gay men from Texas, Oklahoma, from Nashville, and they said to us, you know, you said you have a country western bar here. That's what we want. We They've want been, country we've been western. They've been waiting for this. They've been right. waiting That's for this right. bar. They know That's every right. word to every song that yes, plays they on the do. jukebox. And you know, Madonna, Obscure western songs. Madonna and Britney, they do have some country songs. Are you yes. Like, like you they know, do. Don't Tell Me, that That's Madonna right. song? Well, 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 Gaga has a version of Born This Way that's country western. See, there you go. Yeah. I, I'm digging it. I'm digging <laughs> no, it. No. Does Taylor Swift land anywhere on the gay continuum? Oh, she's on. Oh, huge. Probably every fourth song on the jukebox is Taylor Swift. Because we have a jukebox so the customers can play the music, and she, she's hugely popular. Oh, absolutely. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Now, who would be the most popular? Because I, when, when you come to gays and country, who would be the most popular? Reba, Shania. Yeah, Reba's huge, and um, Shania. Patsy. Uh, Shania. Why not? Wynonna Judd. You got Wynonna old school. Judd. You got Patsy. We have all you got of Patsy. All you, got, you got Wanda Jackson, Rockabilly. We have all that. Memphis Everything. Mini. We even, I like go some into, old we even go into Southern Rock, like Marshall Tucker and Almond Brothers. Which I grew up on, and I love. I love that, too. I want to thank you both so much. The place is called Flaming Saddle. Saloon. The grand opening is this Wednesday night, January 28th. It's on Santa Monica Boulevard, right in West Hollywood. Do you just go at the door? Are there tickets or just show up and go? Well, it's a, it's, it's a, a private event. And oh, the, and red for carpet. The first, yes. yes. Well, that's for the Los Angeles LGBT Center. We're, gotcha. we're helping with that. And uh, the 10 o'clock door is open doors and everybody open. come on in. And everybody just Yippee get crazy. Yippee-ki-yay. <laughs> Yippee, I'm gay, mother trucker. <laughs> and you, and you have a video online and and a wonderful song you uh, it's called uh, Westboro Baptist Blues yes yes. and so you can check that out on YouTube as well and lots of good stuff so thank you so much thank you thank Chris you. and Jackie well is it do I have something to say here yes I yes, do yes you do you know what it's the end of our ride which so you need to gather your personal courage you need to take timid politicos by the hand you need to exit to the far left of the trams forward motion our thanks to tonight's director, Michelle Marie Gilkison. Tonight's board operator, Nadia Richardson. Yay. 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 Coordinating producer, Steve Pride. And our Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. Follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio, where the link to the latest show is posted by noon every Tuesday. And while you're there, please give us a like. We close with a satirical tribute to the Westboro Baptist Church. Written and performed by our new friend, Chris Barnes. With Yay. Dana Fuchs and Felicia Collins from the Late Show Band. Good night, y'all. Y'all have a good one. <laughs> Yeehaw. I'm sitting around the house, drinking whiskey, watching TV one day. On the news, there was a protest at the funeral of a boy who was a green beret. Some folks is waving signs, thanking God our boys passed away. So I hollered out to Jesus Christ Almighty, what you got to say? He said, listen girl, I'm gonna share with you a little itty bit of bad news. You see, there's always gonna be the sin of West. Baptist Blues This preacher preaches condemnation 
for homosexuality It seems down in Topeka, Kansas They got a probate brand of spirituality They say boys who like boys And girls who like girls They gonna burn on judgment day So I hollered out to Jesus Lamb of God What you got to say that ain't right. He said, listen, boy, I'm going to share with you just a little bit of bad news. You see, there's always going to be the sin of Westboro Baptist Blues. Now they say the Holocaust was in fact part of God's divine plan. I know. And the Bible who did rain And our blessed children in Sandy Hook on the playground where they used to play So I just hollered out to Jesus, King of Kings What you got to say He said, listen boy, I'm gonna share with you some reality that happens to be bad news See, there's always gonna be a sin of Westboro Baptist Blues Come on, Dana. Pay no attention to the city. 